So back to our imagery. Coming out of the chapel, I have been reborn. Next week's Come Follow Me, Jesus will tell Nicodemus, except a man shall be born of the Spirit and the water, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. You have to be born again. And those are kind of the ordinances of the chapel. Be born again. So I'm going into the temple... as a newborn baby. So what was the first thing we did? We washed it. The first thing that you will do in the temple is be ceremonially washed. And we saw all those dots come together. That if he's washing me, that's an invitation for me to wash me. And I'm going from terrestrial to celestial, which is an inner. So it's a washing of my inner, not a washing of my outer. I wash my thoughts. I wash what I listen to. I wash what I watch. Then, after we wash this baby, because this is heir to the throne, either a king or a queen, we anointed the baby, right? Same dots. If I'm being anointed, I'm being asked to anoint, to mark myself. I am marking myself to receive a blessing. And the question is, whose blessing do you want? Because we live in a world where we are constantly, every day, putting a mark on us regarding whose blessing we want. Sometimes I want my friend's blessing. I want my friends to accept me, so I put my friend's marks on me. Whosever blessing you seek, that's whose blessing you put on. And when you seek God's blessing, you will put on God's marks. So now what do we need to do is with this baby? We need to clothe it. We need to cover it. We need to cover its nakedness. So let's go to the Garden of Eden. Let's start in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. I want you to turn to the very last verse of Moses 3. Almost inappropriate for the scriptures. Unless you see the symbolism. I can't imagine very many scriptures would say, oh, a man and a woman, and by the way, they were naked. So you've got to see the symbolism. Adam and Eve are naked in the garden and unashamed. Why is that significant? What's the symbolism here? Okay, so they're unashamed, which means they're open, they're exposed. Very private things are being seen and they are not embarrassed. What's the symbolism? What would nakedness symbolize? The covering coming off and everyone knowing everything that you did. There's nakedness. All of us who have hidden our sins under darkness, under time, under a thousand coverings, and thought no one would know. What are the prophecies? Someday, all the coverings will come off. All the secrets will be revealed. And we will stand naked and ashamed. But they were naked and unashamed, which meant nothing to hide. Adam and Eve had nothing to hide until they transgress, right? 
So chapter 3, last verse, they're naked and unashamed. Chapter 4, verse 12, they partake of the forbidden fruit. They do something they have not, they were not supposed to do. So now what aren't they? Now having transgressed, they have something they would like Heavenly Father to not know. They have a secret. They have something that they would like to hide. I just did something he asked me not to do, and he's coming. Do you remember that feeling as a child when your mom says don't, and you do, and then you hear mom coming? It's like, oh no, mom's coming. My hand's in the cookie jar. Adam and Eve just did something Heavenly Father told them not to, and he's on his way. So tell me what they do in verse 13. They want to hide their sins. They are naked and ashamed. So what do you do when you're naked and ashamed? You cover. You cover yourself. Adam and Eve covered themselves with fig leaves. What's the symbolism here? Tell me what a fig leaf represents. Something divine? No. What does a fig leaf represent? Everything I use to hide my sins. Now, be a little vulnerable. Let's all admit we have used fig leaves throughout our life to hide. To hide from God to hide from bishops, to hide from parents, to hide from spouses, to hide from friends. There are things we would like people to not know. How many things as a teenager did you hide from your parents? Now, what did you do to cover them up? What are some modern day Fig leaves. Okay, so I cover with, I'll just simply, I just run away. I didn't do it. I'll just, okay, you know, I just run away. I just run away. What are some others? Blame. Blame. Okay. This is an interesting one, right? I did something bad and I'm embarrassed. But it's not as bad as what she did. So everyone's attention does what? And they're not? Boom. Success. But who got hurt in all of this? And whose fault is that? I know they did something that, but you see, shame on me, embarrassing them so that I'm less embarrassed. Fig leaves are horrible. Okay, give me some others. Let me save that one for just one second because I'm gonna illustrate that one. One very common covering is darkness. I'll just do it in the dark. Then no one can see. 
No one can see. Sometimes the fig leaf is a closed door. And I'm covering my nakedness. I'm covering my shame with a closed door. Others? I just cover it with time. Now, probably the big one is we lie. Did you do this? Nope. Wasn't me. And I cover my, my embarrassing nakedness that would sh embarrass me if everyone knew with a lie. Now, what's the problem with covering your nakedness with fig leaves? I happen to notice that not one of you are wearing fig leaves today. In fact, in all my years of teaching, I have never once seen a student wear fig leaves. Why don't you wear fig leaves to school? Tell me. It's a horrible covering. Because, tell me about fig leaves. They fall off. And what happens when they fall off? Look at verse 14. When the fig leaves don't work, what do Adam and Eve do next? Where? What do they cover themselves with? Trees. Trees. Bigger and stronger. So when my lie starts to fall off, what do I have to cover my lie with? A bigger lie. And then when that one starts to crumble, I use a bigger lie. And it's just like you're keeping track of all of these lies. Can I give you an example? This is Mark and Lori hacking. Married in the temple. Mark served a mission. They look happy. This is right after their wedding. Lori was working full time and Mark was a student at the University of Utah. Or so he told Lori that was a lie. He was not going to school. What he was doing, Lori didn't know. But he's lying to his wife. Now, how long can you cover yourself with that lie? That you're going to school? At least no more than four years, right? Because eventually what's your wife going to expect? Shouldn't you be graduating now? So just in time for graduation, guess what? Mark gets accepted into medical school in Georgia. And they're going to move. So he's covering, a, he's got a bigger lie to cover his lies and they're moving to Georgia. Well, Lori gets curious about housing and what's going to happen. And so she calls the medical school in Georgia only to find out that there is no Mark hacking. And the fig leaf starts to come up. So what does she do next? Where would you call next? University of Utah. And guess what she finds out? He has not been attending classes here. And the fig leaves start to come off. Now, what's going to happen that night when Mark goes home and faces Lori? He will be naked and ashamed, won't he? 
Mark had another fig leaf to cover all of his lies with. That night, Mark Hacking shot his wife. He shot Lori. His, his wife married in the temple. He shot her with a rifle threw her body in the garbage can, in the trash, and it was taken to the landfill. He covered all of his lies, and the only person who knew with trash. He announced that Lori had disappeared, been kidnapped. So the police get involved. Now, guess what the police are really, really good at? Pulling off fig leaves. And so they start pulling off the fig leaves. And now guess what? Mark Hacking is naked and ashamed in front of the whole world, including Lori's family. No more fig leaves, Mark. You're out. So Adam and Eve start covering themselves with fig leaves. And then when they don't work, they try trees. And then they start using... And don't you think Adam and Eve woke up one day and said, okay, it was the same day, but bear with me, just analogy. They woke up one day and said, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to hide behind fig leaves. I don't want to live that way. There's a better way. So chapter four, finally, look at verse 18. What, at the very end of verse 18, what do Adam and Eve say to the father? What does Adam say? What does Eve say? End of verse 18. I ate. We call that repentance. I ate. Now guess what happens when you repent? Guess what happens when you're willing to take off the fig leaf? I don't want to do this anymore. And I'm willing to take it off. Verse 27, one of the most beautiful moments in Scripture. Tell me what Heavenly Father does when Adam and Eve decide no more fig leaves. Heavenly Father says, I will clothe you. And what does he use? Coats of skins. Heavenly Father clothes Adam and Eve with coats of skins. Where would Heavenly Father... In Eden, after the fall, but in Eden, get coats of skins from? He killed an animal. Which animal did Heavenly Father kill to cover Adam and Eve? A lamb. Do you see it? Tell me what are the coats of skins that the Father covers you with? It's the atonement. He covers you in the atoning sacrifice. Is that one coming off? Will that one ever come off? No. So then why don't we take off the fig leaves in the temple? We do. Yeah, but we put them back on. Yes, after what did he say? What did he say? What are the instructions? Tell me the words you were told regarding the fig leaf. Remove, you got one. And then he says, 
replace. Now it's my fig. Now it's the right fig leaf. I wear two fig leaves in the temple. The first one I take off. The second one now symbolizes something very different. So he says, remove and replace. Replace with what? Replace your lies with atonement. Replace the darkness with the light. It's not the same one I put back on. Now, for practical purposes, we put the same one back on. But you see the symbolism? It's not the same one I put back on. Because that's the one I take into the Father's presence. Would I take my lies into the Father's presence? I wouldn't. But what would I take? My replacement. So, all of a sudden, in the temple, he says, Are you tired of the fig leaves? Are you tired of lying? Are you tired of covering your own sins? If so, replace that. Remove and replace. Now, I've played with that symbolism for decades. Can I tell you one thing I love about still wearing the fig leaves? Do they cover you? Do the fig leaves cover you? And I wonder if part of the reason is it's a constant reminder that this is not a good covering. Which covering do you love? Which covering just makes you feel something when you cover yourself with it? It's not the fig leaf, is it? So maybe one of the reasons we keep the same fig leaf is the reminder that this is not what I want to cover me. I truly in my life am going to remove this and replace it. And that's where the coats of skins become the new symbol. He covers me with coats of skins. Do you see the symbolism of your garments? He tells you in the temple, these are coats of skins. Anciently, they were made of skin. You are wearing the atonement. So let's go to that temple recommend question. The second or third last, which one is it? The third to the last question. See beyond it and tell me what he's really asking. Okay. Question number 13. Do you keep the covenants that you made in the temple, including wearing the temple garment as instructed in the endowment? Is my bishop really concerned about whether or not I wear my garments? Yes. But what's the real question here? Are you covered with the atonement? Are you covering yourself with the atonement? Or are you still using fig leaves? That's the heart of this question. Are you using fig leaves to cover yourself? Or are you using the coats of skin? Because one's going to come off. 
and one will not. And the symbolism of that, of those coats of skins, I wear them as a symbol of, am I really wearing him? Now, anciently, every time in the New Testament, every time in the Scriptures, you find the word atonement. The root word is a Greek verb. And the Greek verb is kafar. That is, that is translated atonement nowadays. But literally translated, anyone tell me what kafar means? To cover. And what the atonement really does in its most basic is it covers me. And so the covenant of the, the garment, the reason you wear garments is to symbolize the fact that you have been asked to take off the fig leaves and replace them. You've been clothed in a symbol of his atoning sacrifice. He has wrapped you in his atonement. Now, do you go home and take the atonement off? Do you go home and remove him is the question. You see the covenant? He knows we make mistakes. That's part of the program. He understands. We'll get to the doctrinal backdrop of the endowment in a couple weeks. He knows that. This is a probationary state. He doesn't expect you to be perfect, but he does expect you to be covered. Are you covered? Do you allow the atonement to cover you? Washed, anointed, covered. And every day of my life, I'm either using fig leaves or I'm using him to cover me. Do you see the, 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 the symbolism? Okay, very associated with that. Let's do the, the second one. Tell me what else you're going to do. Going back to this baby. Washed, anointed, clothed, and then named. But what comes with a name? Tell me what words would you associate with name? If I were to erase all this, tell me what you associate with name. What comes with your name? Okay, what do you mean? How does a name bring responsibility? Is it safe to say that you doing something horrible would affect your whole family? Yes. I'm a Dunford. That's a significant name. I'm very proud to carry that name Dunford. But if it were in the news that I did this, I would hate to face my grandfather. That's a responsibility, right? Keep going. What else comes with a name? A personality. What else comes with your name? Identity. 
an identity. Almost instantaneously, you are associated with a group of people, aren't you? A name brings an identity. Not spelled right. Period. Give me another one. I like that. Instantly associated. A name can be associated with an entire platform. Now I'm going to go ahead, James. A history. I am going to see if I can put up a name here, a word here that seems to kind of encapsulate all of these ideas. My name is my way. My way. So in the temple, when he puts his name on me, what is he putting on me? This, 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 this. Let me show you an interesting chain of words, fascinating chain of words. And we're going to use every single book of scripture to do it, even though you may not think so. Let's start in the New Testament. New Testament, Acts um, 1, verse 25. Acts 1, 25. Tell me where Judas Iscariot went after he committed suicide. In Acts chapter 1, they have to replace the vacancy in the Quorum of the Twelve made by Judas Iscariot suicide. Where does the Bible say he went when he committed suicide? His own place. Fascinating. Now, let me chain that phrase. We're actually going to go back to the Old Testament, but you're going to find it in the Book of Mormon. It's been stripped from our Old Testament. One of the plain and precious things taken out. It was replaced. So this is the Old Testament. It was replaced in Jacob 5. It is the allegory of the tame and the wild olive tree. It's really from the prophet Zenos in the Old Testament. So this whole allegory is the story about trying to get this tree to produce good fruit. You pluck it. You graft it. You do all sorts of things to it. In the end, what do they do with all the bad fruit? Where? Where does all the bad fruit go? Its own place. Fascinating phrase. All the bad fruit in the end will go to its own place. Now turn to the very next chapter. This is Book of Mormon. Jacob is making a commentary. So this is totally thousands of years later. Who knows how many years later? But Jacob is commenting on the allegory. And of all the things, 77 verses in Jacob chapter 5, of all the things in the allegory, what does Jacob, what catches his attention? In his commentary, what catches his attention? What a shame. 
What a shame. How cursed are those that shall be cast out to their own place. What a shame. How cursed are those who shall be cast out to their own place. All right, Doctrine and Covenants. Doctrine and Covenants 88. Go to 29. What group of people get resurrected in verse 29? Or quickened. That's another word for resurrected. Who gets quickened in verse 29? DNC 88, 29. Celestial. Okay, so we resurrect all the celestial. 30? Terrestrial. 31? Okay, so if we've resurrected celestial, terrestrial, and telestial, who would be left in the spirit world? Sons of perdition who got a body. Are there a few sons of perdition who came to earth and got a body? Yes. They will be resurrected. The rule is, if you got a body, you'll be resurrected. And then where will they go? Verse 32. Let's read it. The sons of perdition who got a body, who will read 32. James, read verse 32. And they who remain shall be quickened, nevertheless they shall return again to their own place, to enjoy that which they are willing to receive, because they are not willing to enjoy that which they might have received. And what might they have received? 33. For what doth it profit man if a gift is bestowed upon him and he receiveth not the gift? Behold, he rejoices not in that which is given unto him, neither rejoices in him who is the giver of the gift. So who's the giver of the gift and what's the gift? Jesus and atonement. So what is the one thing the sons of perdition will not receive? The atonement. They will not receive the atonement in any way, shape, or form. Therefore, where will they go? Their, place. their own place. They will go to their own place to enjoy what they want. Because they will not accept His gift. Do you see the significance of where we're headed. Let's do one more. What about Satan and all the hosts that followed him? Same section, verse 114. Where will Satan and all of the third that followed him go for eternity? Their own place. Tell me why. Why would they go to their own place? That. That's what they wanted. How did they want to live? Their way. their way. In their name. With their identity. Therefore, what's their reward? Heavenly Father walks them to the edge of his property and says, go. Find a place to live because you can't live here. Go make a kingdom for yourself. Good luck with that. You wanted to live your way? Go get your own place. Now contrast that. Turn with me to John chapter 14. 
Turn to John chapter 14, verse 2. Jesus says, My Father's mansions, in my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place, His place. I go to prepare His place, my place, my place for you. And how do you get His place? Verse 6. I am the way. So here's the reality. If you live your way, your reward will be your place. Good luck. Good luck with that. If you want his place, how do you live? His way. What is one thing I could do to show my acceptance of living his way with his identity and his people in his home? What could I do to show him that I accept his way. Uh, so I just think of when my sister has had issues living at my dad's house, and I'm like, dude, it's his house, his rules. So you'll live his rules. Yeah. You take his name. You take his name. The act of taking his name is saying what? I will, his house, his rules, and I'm all in. His blessings, his protection. His power, His name. Do you see the symbol, symbolism? When you go to the temple, you will be given a name. You will be given lots of names. See the symbolism of giving, of receiving His name. It's the only place. Now, what do we do in the sacrament? Have you, have you paid attention to the sacrament prayer? Tell me the wording of the sacrament. When I partook of the sacrament in the chapel, I was taking the name upon himself. It, it, that's not it. That's, that's, tell me the sacrament prayer. Oh God, the eternal Father, we ask thee in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ, to bless and sanctify the souls of all those who partake of this bread, that they will, that they witness unto thee that they are willing to, willing to, willing to, the sacrament prayer is willing to. Do we actually do it? No. Where do we do it? Back to that comment. Where do we put upon us his name? In his house. When I accept his way. Turn with me to section 109 of the Doctrine and Covenants. You may want to pay attention that the sacrament prayer is a willingness to take upon us his name. And then go read section 109, verse 26. Let's read 24 through 26. Because his house brings his protection, his way, his identity, his people, his platform, brings his protection. Anyone want to read 24 through 25? 26, 24 through 26, please. 
We ask thee, Holy Father, to establish the people that shall worship, and honorably hold a name and standing in this thy house to all generations and for eternity, that no weapon formed against them shall prosper, that he who diggeth the pit for them shall fall into the same himself, that no combination of wickedness shall have power to rise up and prevail over thy people upon whom thy name shall be put in this house. There it is. No wickedness of you. That's his protection. That's his covering. That's his blessing. That's his place. If you live in his place, it is covered. But in order to live in his place, you have to live his way. His house, his way, his name, honorably hold a name in his house. You receive his name in the temple. Expect to see that. Washed, anointed, clothed, and given a new name. And the symbolism of the new name is that you're being given a new way, a new place, a new people, a new group. His people, his group, his platform. His name. And you place that name on you. Don't be surprised if he quizzes you. Have you received the name? I need to make sure you have the name. What's the symbolism of that? I need to make sure. I will quiz you before you enter my presence to see if you have taken upon you my name, my way, my rules, my place. Do you see the beauty of the temple? You go in there and you become a different person. Abram became Abraham. Sarai became Sarah. Jacob became Israel. Saul became Paul. It's very common. New identity, new name, new place, new people. So you should expect that the invitation given to you in the temple is to accept his name. Take it upon you. Because that's how I'm going to live. I will live his way. See that beauty? Now, after you've been washed, I lost my picture, but after you've been washed, anointed, clothed, named, we're ready to go into that second part of the, in, uh, uh, the temple. We're ready to enter the endowment room. Now, before we start focusing on the covenants, how many will you make? Everyone needs to know these five. You, they need to be written on the back of your eyelids. So when you close your eyes, you see that list. Before we get to the five, there is a story being told. All of the five covenants come with a story as a backdrop. It is important to understand the connection between the story we're being told and the covenants we're making. So let's talk about that doctrinal backdrop next week 
and how it helps me understand the covenants that I'm making. It is not Jesus's story that you're going to be told. Because whose story is this? It's your story. And symbolically, you are Adam and Eve. So that's the story we're going to be told. And he's going to teach some very, very important doctrines in that story and then put us under covenant to do five things. Understanding the story is vital to understanding the five covenants. But walking into that room, I promise to wash, anoint, mark myself. I promise to cover myself with the atonement and no longer will I cover myself with lies and darkness and other fig leaves. And I will change my name because I have changed my identity, my way, my people, my home. Because I belong to him. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.